we can be people who have your word, your spirit uh, alive and well inside of us. Lord, thank you for the union that we have with you. Thank you for your presence now. And I pray that you would speak into all our lives, my life included, by your word, that you would use me and even use others, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Ephesians 2, let's see if we can get there. I don't, is it, oh, I didn't do the creed. We'll just jump into the sermon. Um, Ephesians 2, if I get there. So when I think about the book of Ephesians, Jim gave a three-point outline. I'm going to take it down and put the cookies on a lower shelf. A two-point outline. The first two chapters, comprehension. The last, there's six chapters, so the the rest of the chapters, response. So get this, and here's how you respond to it. And the beginning of this section is is something that hits you right away. Look what Paul says, Ephesians 2.1. And, and I, I gave you the Greek here. Y'all were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, the funny thing, right? In English, you can mean you, Pittsburghians, right? Or it can mean Betty. And many times when we read the Bible, we read I, right? Oh, and Jim was dead in his trespasses. But that's, Paul is going, y'all. We're dead in your trespasses. And what I find kind of interesting is many times in our songs or in our conversation, we'll say, oh, I was broken and the Lord fixed me. I was sick and the Lord healed me. Now, I'm not talking about healing. I'm talking about like our state before God. But the reality is we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. I mean, that's like, that's like um, a big thing there, isn't it? It says you were dead dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So he begins and he goes, dead. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then he says, you walked in that. So you were like the living dead, right? Isn't it? I mean, think about this. He's saying you were dead, but you lived in deadness. I mean, think of that. Get your mind around that. So I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I was still alive. So from God's perspective, when he looks out, there are zombies, spiritual zombies, right? There are, there are the living dead, right? People who are followers of the course of the world, followers of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived, people who are giving themselves over to the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And mind. So he's saying... You once were that way, y'all once were that way, now you're not, but there still are people who are living into that way of life. And so I thought I'd unpack it just a little bit. He says, following the course of the world. And when I read that, I started thinking about uh, our country and how 
our world kind of agreed with Christianity. Like, we have certain morals, don't we, that we believe, right? And 20 years ago, many people who were committed believers would say, I believe this. I believe this about sexuality. I believe that. Like, there were a lot of biblical understanding that everybody just said, yeah, I agree. And, and then you had people who were like, nope, I don't agree with that. I don't, I'm, I, you know, no Jesus, nothing. I don't, I don't agree with the morals, right? But the, the average American, I call it the big mushy middle, would be like, yeah, I agree with what the Christians believe. I agree with these people, these, these committed believers in Jesus, these faithful followers. They might have even seen themselves as that, but, the, but they really probably didn't go to church or didn't really live it out, but that, that's who they were. And you know what's happened in our culture? The middle moved. Now, we appear almost Amish in our beliefs, right? You believe that? I, I think I told you this before. I had a guy one time tell me, you're on the wrong side of history. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, uh, it depends how far you take that history, right? You know, and, and, and the way of the world, the following the course of the world, there is a, a world way that's going and moving, and there was a way that you and I, had we been part of the big mushy middle, had we not been people who have been in this beautiful relationship with Jesus, we wouldn't be over here with the faithful and, and the holy. We would probably have moved with the middle, and there would be a lot of similarities with us and other people who don't believe, right? And, and then he goes on, and he goes, you followed the prince of the power of the air. I, I read a commentary, and basically he's like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, we sing this song, this is the air I breathe, this is the air. Paul would be like, well, uh, you're also getting some other air in there, right? I mean, what, what is he talking about here? Paul has a concept of a spiritual realm that I think many of us as Christians, we don't even embrace this. We don't even get it, right? There, there's, a, there's a God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they can't see the light of the glorious gospel who is the image of God, I'm sorry, gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine onto them. So there is powers that are unseen. And in Paul's worldview, and I believe in a Christian worldview, we believe in this kind of powers of darkness, right, that are at work in us. He calls it powers of the air. You can't see it. You, you may at times experience, you can also discern it, but it's here and it's at work in the sons of disobedience. Haven't you ever seen things before and you're like, oh, that is wicked. That's horrible. Like, what's going on? What's it going on? And, and you think there's, so, there's something deeper here. This person is not just acting on their own. There is a power at work in their life. There are deceptions and voices, and, and they, they're just blind to the things of God. And, and so Paul would say that, and, and then he would say, and among them, we all once lived. So he's, he's going, I was there. 
I, I was a good Jewish guy. I, I was somebody who thought I was doing right. I kept every command, but I was still somebody who once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you've heard me talk about uh, Tim Keller and idolatry, and I think this is exactly what he's talking about. These are these voices that tell us, if I only get this thing, this relationship, this, I will be satisfied. There are siren songs. There, there, there are things that, you, you know, you see them on commercials, but it, it's when you really grasp them, them in your heart. Uh, Tim Keller writes, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. He would say this, work idolatry, life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm highly productive and I get a lot done. See, here's the thing. We're believers in Jesus, but we live in this realm where there's this powers of the air. And how do they work in our lives? They whisper. They take a good thing like work and try to make us look to it to be God, give our lives meaning and significance. Achievement idolatry. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I'm being recognized for my accomplishments, if I'm excelling in my career. I had that idol. And I was talking to a guy who was telling me that, that he had a relationship idol. And when I told him what my idol was, he laughed at me. And I'm like, oh, you can laugh. But I didn't laugh at him when he shared his idol. Yeah, but but you, there's something inside of me, there was something inside of me that said, who am I if I'm not successful? If things aren't always going up and to the right? right? And it sneaks in. You say Jesus is Lord, but the little idols get in there. Materialism idol. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom. And nice possessions. Individual person idols. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if this one person is in my life. Happy, if they're happy and happy with me. And that was my friend's idol from a conversation this week. That's what he was thinking. And Paul would say, we all live there. We all were that way. Right? And then he goes, but God. And he flips it. You were dead, but God. And look at this language, being rich in mercy. So you say rich, what comes to your mind? Do you think of somebody who has like, well, I got a yacht, I got a house, you know, I got, I got um, a, a nice car, I got an airplane, I got a bigger airplane. I mean, when you think of riches, don't you think of things? Right? I mean, people, they got the big house, they got the, the, the yacht, the car. I mean, basically anything they, they want. They can even go up into space, right? Two of the rich guys, right, went up into space right? because they can. And Paul uses the same word for God. And he says, God is rich in mercy. Take the, the picture that you have of somebody really wealthy and see God as having 
mounds of mercy. Do you have that view of God? Oh, let me tell you about my God. He's, he's like a billionaire in mercy. I mean, does that even, do you even think of God that way? My God's rich in mercy. You sin, and you know what it cost him, but you know he's a God who is rich in mercy. I like this story by Tim Keller. He said he was in a meeting once, and it was in a meeting to pick elders in the church. And this pastor, um, they bring up somebody's name. And the senior pastor says, oh, I know he's a fine guy. I love him so much, but I don't think he's a good elder candidate. And everybody said, why? Like, he's a spiritual guy, knows his Bible. He said, he's not a happy enough person. And therefore, I believe he doesn't know how big a sinner he is. His life is not infused with enough joy which shows he couldn't possibly know how big a sinner he is. Because if he knew how big a sinner he is, he would be happier at the knowledge of the grace of God. You're going to walk out with your tail between your legs when you leave here? But is that not beautiful? Is that not counterintuitive too? Because my God, Paul, when he's like, oh, but God being rich in mercy, you wake up in the morning before you go to bed at night, God, you are rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He doesn't want you to forget that. Right? He brings it back up in here. But God, when you were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So here's God, and you're like Lazarus in the tomb. You know the story, right? Lazarus in the tomb, did he do anything to save himself? No, he's dead. Jesus comes, oh, Jesus, I wish you came sooner. He's starting to rot, right? Jesus speaks, Lazarus, come forth. And his voice, it's like creation, recreation. It gives life to his mortal body, and they take the grave clothes off, and they put him together with his family members and his sister. And, and Paul would say, this is what happened to you when you were dead dead in your sin, you heard the voice, you believed, and you are alive by grace. And then it says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, I hope this blows your mind, because look what it said in chapter one, and he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated, this is Jesus, at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then in chapter 2, he says, you are seated. So one guy goes, well, you're legally seated. Can I say that the Apostle Paul, I don't think, would agree with that? I think he'd go, Jim, your fanny's in that chair, and it's also enthroned with Jesus. 
It's mind-blowing to think about this. I mean, when Paul thought of this world, there was the spirits of the, of the air, there's powers and authorities, but he also saw himself somehow feet on the ground and resurrected with Jesus in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. You think about that for a while. Sometimes people will talk to me about, you know, demons and the spiritual realm and and I'll try to get their mind around this first and foremost. Well, first, let me tell you, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And you know what else he said? You're seated with him at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. So what do those spiritual forces have, right? You, like, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And in chapter 5, he talks about marriage, but then he also talks about how how the husband like cares for the bride or somebody cares for their body and if you're the body of christ jesus is looking out for you he's taking care of you he's leading you out of temptation he's delivering you out of evil like like you're connected to him like in a real way you know if i was given a choice right now i could tell you what gretchen would choose and i know if it's different than mine right you know anybody who's been married for any period of time your spouse lives in you and you and them. And here we are with the, the Spirit of God living inside of us. And, and, I, and God wants us to think about this. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. So what I was thinking about is when Jesus hung on the cross, we saw his face. But who was behind that face? You were. Y'all were. All believers in Jesus were behind that face. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says, when Jesus died, I died. Although we saw the face of God, although we saw the face of Jesus, your face and my face are hidden behind his mask. We died with him. Paul thinks about this so much. I'm sorry to even bring up this topic, but he said, you know, in Corinth, you guys are really immoral, and how can you, who are members of Christ, who are one with Jesus, become one with a prostitute? Like, do you see how much this, this unity, he's like, you're, you're, with, you're one with Jesus. You are, you are so intrinsically connected to him that when you connect yourself to something else, how could you do that? Do you see what he's saying? He's like, you don't get this truth. This is Christianity. Connected with Jesus. He's like, when you're joined to the Lord, you're one spirit with him. Don't join yourself to a prostitute. I mean, do you see the the depth that he has and we in the church and, and the evil one I think would want to get us forgetting the spiritual reality that is true about all believers. It somehow have us just live like, oh, heaven's something that we're going to be at someday. But Paul would go, well, sure, but you're part right now of heaven and the life of Christ. Like you're connected to that reality Right now, on this earth, 
because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Luther would go so far as to say God is milking the cow through the vocation of the milkmaid. So when Jesus hung on the cross, you saw his face, but my face was behind his. And when I walk around and when you walk around and we do and live our lives, guess whose face is behind ours? Jesus. Paul's like, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Like, like he's in me and I in him. Jesus said, abide in me. You'll bear much fruit apart from me. You'll do nothing. There's this reality that, yes, it's me, but I am fully me when I am in Christ, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for as God who wills and works within you. There's this, there's this Jesus in me and Jesus in you. You all get this. And, and it's not easy. You got you to gotta think about it. Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, if you have, set your minds on things. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Oh, who's seated at the right hand of God? Christ is. And you are. Paul's like, I want you to think about this. Sit down with a cup of tea and think about this. Go for a walk. And go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about what it means to be in union with Christ. I'm going to think about what, this is what he's telling them to do. This is what he's telling us to do. Y'all, think about this. Set your mind on things above, not on earth. He's saying, you got to think about this. I had to ask myself, what if I wore my robes all the time? I know Jim would laugh at me and make fun of me, but tell me this. Ask yourself this question. You know, like a, a police officer wears an outfit, right? And if, if, if a police officer, go, officer goes into a store in plain clothes, you treat them a certain way, right? But if they come in with their outfit, how do you treat them, right? Yeah, you're like, oh. I, yeah, there's something about it. When you look in the rearview mirror and there is a police officer behind you, I just drove to and from Florida, right? You, you know, what do you do? Can I say I was happy for the police officers that passed me when I was doing 76? I was like, thank you, Jesus. I don't even know if I can thank God for that. You know, but what if, what if I wore my robe and stole everywhere? Would I act differently? Yes. Would it be awkward and weird? Yes. But what am I trying to say? I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. Like right now, what, what if you had the Jesus garb? What if you walking into school, into the store, into the gas station, into your friend's house, like God, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to Jesus and you've, he's seated at the right hand and I'm seated, even though my feet are here, I'm seated at the right hand. It's like putting on this holy garb. It's like somehow, God, I'm here, but you're also here and what, what do you want from me? Do you see this? Does it change how you see things? So that in a coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Read this with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. Lutherans know this, right? You're not saved by your works. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can boast about. But I want to focus on this little line. It's a gift. Because I, I, I think in Paul's day, gift-giving, like he didn't have all these thousands of years of theology about grace and gifts. I think in Paul's day, gifts connected people. And when you gave a gift, have you ever given a gift or received a gift and it was much more expensive than the thing you had to give back? <laughs> right? How do you feel? Right? I want you to watch this uh, video clip. Okay, well, thank you for that, but I got you and Leonard a few silly neighbor gifts, so I'll just put them under my tree. Wait, you bought me a present? Uh-huh. Well, why would you do such a thing? I don't know, because it's Christmas. Oh, Penny, I know you think you're being generous, but the foundation of gift-giving is reciprocity. You haven't given me a gift. You've given me an obligation. Don't feel bad, Penny. It's a classic rookie mistake. My first Hanukkah with Sheldon, he yelled at me for eight nights. Get me anything in return? Of course I do. The essence of the custom is that I now have to go out and purchase for you a gift of commensurate value and representing the same perceived level of friendship as that represented by the gift you've given me. <laughs> well, it's no wonder suicide rates skyrocket this time of year. Okay, you know what? Forget it. I'm not giving you a present. No, he's too late. I see it. That elf sticker says to Sheldon. <laughs> The die has been cast. The moving finger has writ. Hannibal has crossed the Alps. <laughs> I know it's funny when it's not happening to us. Sheldon, I am very, very sorry. You no, know, no, I brought this on myself by being such an endearing and important part of your life. <laughs> I'm going to need a ride to the mall. It's happening to us. Great news, Leonard. I've solved my penny gift dilemma. Yippee. You see, the danger was that I might under or over reciprocate, but I have devised a foolproof plan. I will open her gift to me first and then excuse myself feigning digestive distress. Then I'll look up the price of her gift online, choose the basket closest to that value, give it to her, and then I'll return the others for a full refund. Brilliant. Hmm. It is, isn't it? <laughs> is it okay if I hide them in your room? That smell makes me nauseated. Do whatever you want. Thank you. That's very gracious. <laughs> Gentlemen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How's your leg? Very good. Thanks for asking. Come on in. Good, Penny. You're here to exchange gifts. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know I'm prepared for whatever you have to offer. Okay, here. I should note, 
I'm having some digestive distress. <laughs> so if I excuse myself abruptly, don't be alarmed. <laughs> oh, a napkin. Turn it over. To Sheldon, live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy. He came into the restaurant, sorry the napkin's dirty, he wiped his mouth with it. I possess the DNA of Leonard Nimoy? hilarious isn't it but this is the whole thing about gifts isn't it and what a picture of our lives you and I have received we were dead and we were made alive in Christ he gave us the best gift ever I think the scriptures teach that there is a reciprocity I think that in Paul's mind he's like you got this gift but respond let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. And over and over in Scripture, he's like, forgive as you got the gift of forgiveness. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Love as you've been loved. There's a reciprocity. There's a paying it forward. There's a, a response to the gift that we have been given so graciously. And then he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in and so you got this gift you have the Holy Spirit you're connected to him and, and you go out and live your life and we're like Lord use me and guess what he will so little vacation comments Gretchen and I drove to DC parked our car at the train station and, and then took the train back to Connellsville, not all the way to Pittsburgh, and we did this bike ride 10 years ago when we were much younger. And um, we actually started in McKeesport 10 years ago because it wasn't completed to Pittsburgh. But the, the train gets in in Pittsburgh after midnight, and I didn't think Gretchen was one to ride around downtown Pittsburgh on her bike after midnight. So 
we cut a little bit off the ride and got off the train in Connellsville, and we rode back. And, and it was a great ride. It was uh, beautiful. And, and as we were riding on a path, a, a family passed us. And, and this family, the dad was like calling out the mileage. Like he wanted to keep them at a certain speed. And the sons were like 20 and 18 or 20 and 22, you know. Uh, you know, they were, they were like young adult sons, and the, the mom, dad, they were all riding. They had a great pace going, and, and Gretchen and I on an e-bike, we could actually go faster than what we wanted. And I'm like, honey, let's, they, they just want to go fast. Let's just lag behind them. So uh, they passed us, but we're not too far behind them. And as they're riding, the one son, somehow he just missed his handlebars with his arm, and he just starts tumbling. And then the dad was right behind him, and he starts tumbling too. Yeah. Now, um, this is a picture of me um, from some years ago, but it was the same kind of thing. The dad had a big hematoma on his leg, but there was nothing broken. But this young guy is bloody. And he says, this is the first time I've fallen in 20 years. I'm thinking, get used to it. Um, And... Gretchen and I, like, I'm a Boy Scout when it comes to riding. I got, like, pedals. If our pedals break, chains, like, like I got stuff. And after falling a handful of times, I am ready to fall, right? Gauze. I got the kind of tape that you can tape yourself, and it stays on while you're riding, right? And I learned it from this time where we had nothing, and I was just a mess. This is just part of my body that was messed up. And, and, and so we stop. And we break out the first aid, and we break out the water, and um, this family's like, we are so thankful you guys are behind us. Where would we be if you, had, you know, and, and they're just like, hey, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good. Like, God knew beforehand that we'd be there for them to be a blessing to them. Like, this is how the Lord works. We put ourselves, we place ourselves, we think about it. We, we say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Like, we use our minds, but at the same time, God is preparing others beforehand for us to be a part of that. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray for us all that we could comprehend with all the saints the height, the breadth, the depths of your love. That we need those revelations, Lord, in our lives to, to get us out of the mundane and to turn our mind on you. Jesus each person here, if they believe in you, they are seated here, but they are also seated at your Father's, our Father's right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Lord, that's the, the spiritual realm. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to you, and somehow we are connected to you and one with you, and I pray that as we go out from here and as we think about our oneness, that we would be your handiwork and that you would use us, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done through and in our lives. 
on earth just as it is in heaven. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So I did not look at the announcements, but I will look at them real quickly. Um, Monday, there's a woman's Bible study. Tuesday, high school is meeting. Wednesday, 6.30, a men's group. And maybe this week, I'm going to come back, and maybe some guys will start coming back, meeting in person. Um, tomorrow is the picnic. If you're not coming, pray for us. We would not like to have rain, but we'll take whatever comes from God's hand. And, you know, it's our first picnic here in this place. And I'm thankful for the guys that set up the tents and did all that. Take a look at it. It's pretty nice. Um, membership class starts September 9th. You can still be a part of that if you want. Um, September, uh, this week is first night for confirmation class to start. And that's on Wednesday. We also have the pre-confirmation. So it's like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Uh, and I think high school is going to meet on Wednesday too. Uh, we still need people uh, volunteering here. And I will commit that I will call the pizza place and get pizza. I meant to do it before I left on vacation. Restarted on Saturday night. Just, I just, somebody text me and go, did you do it yet? Because that's all it takes. So um, let's stand as we close with a song of worship. Same power. 
Hosanna, he rose from the grave. Come and lift him up. Hosanna, shout. Hosanna, Jesus, he saves. Shout. Hosanna, he rose from the grave. Come and lift him up. Hosanna. Hosanna. his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he look upon you with his favor. Give you his peace in the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hey, happy to pray with anybody like to pray. Greet somebody you haven't greeted in a while. Have a conversation with somebody you haven't had a conversation with. God bless you guys.